Welcome to the first episode of Medicine in a Nutshell. The topics we will be covering in this capsule are deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. So let's get started. First of all, the approach to DVT is to distinguish whether it is distal or proximal because proximal DVTs are more likely to cause pulmonary embolisms. Then we can think about the risk factors in terms of the Virchow triad. So if you recall, we have endothelial damage, so you need to think about a history of trauma, burns, surgery. Uh, then we have stasis, so ask the question, ask the patient whether they have traveled recently, so been on airplanes for a long time, or been um, ba- bed-bound because of a surgery. Uh, then we can assess for hypercoagulability risk factors, such as cancer, um, pregnancy, hematological disorders like factor V Leiden, protein C, or protein S mutations, a family history of DVT, um, an infectious state like sepsis, uh, people who take oral corticosteroids, have inflammatory bowel disease, um, who suffer from obesity, or who are currently on estrogen therapy. So the typical presentation of DVT is swelling, pain, and erythema of the involved limb. Uh, People can have pain in the buttock or groin groin area. Um, So a helpful tool for clinicians uh, is the WELLS criteria for DVT because there is also one for pulmonary embolism. Um, You get one point for localized tenderness, so pain. You get another point if your leg is swollen. You get another point if your leg is more than three centimeters larger than the normal leg. Uh, You get one point for pitting edema, one point for superficial veins, one point if you have paralysis, um, paresis, or recent immobilization of the lower extremities. Uh, Another point if you've been bedridden for more than three days or, or have had major surgery. Um, one point for previously a uh, history of DVT and one point for cancer. Uh, for physical exams, you can also assess the Homan sign, so that is when pain is elicited during dorsiflexion of the foot, and you can look for superficial venous distension. Moving on to the diagnosis, uh, there is an algorithm that you can follow. So for patients who scored low on the Wells criteria, which means a score of less than one, um, a D-dimer should be ordered. If it is negative, then the DVT can be safely excluded. If it is positive, then you should order an, a duplex ultrasound. If, it is, if the ultrasound is positive, then the DVT is confirmed. If it is negative, then you can exclude the DVT diagnosis. In moderate high-risk patients, so that it means if you have a Wells score more than one. Uh, You should start the treatment immediately unless there is a contraindication and a duplex ultrasound should be ordered. If it is positive, then you have your diagnosis. If it is negative, you need to order a D-dimer and if the the D-dimer is negative, then you can exclude the DVT. If it is positive, um, then you need to repeat the ultrasound in three to seven days. So for pulmonary embolus, 
um, the first thing you need to do is assess whether it is massive or not. A massive P means if you have unstable um, vital signs. So you can have tachycardia, hypotension, bradycardia. And like I said before, there's also a Wells criteria. Uh, so if you have clinical signs of a DVT, then you get three point. If there's an alternate diagnosis, less likely than PE, so you also have another three point. If your heart rate is greater than 100, you get 1.5 points. Uh, history of DVT or PE, you get 1.5 points. Um, immobilization or surgery in the past month, you get uh, 1.5 points. And for cancer and coughing, you get one point each. Uh, coughing hemoptysis, so coughing up blood. And a PE is unlikely if the score is less than four. Um, and in that case, uh, for a score less than four, you can use the PERC score to help you um, exclude the diagno diagnosis of PE. So if the patient is less than 50 years old, has a heart rate that is less than 100, oxygen saturation greater than 95%, um, no swelling, no hemoptysis, no recent surgery trauma, no DVT, PE history, no estrogen use, then you can safely say that they do not have PE. Um, for high-risk patients, so if they have uh, greater than 4 uh, Wells PE score, then you can consider starting treatment immediately and order a CT pulmonary angiogram or a ventilation perfusion scan if they have uh, renal problems. If the scans are diagnostic, then PE is confirmed. If not, uh, then you should repeat with a DVT ultrasound. Um, other uh, tests that are non-diagnostic but that can be useful are is the ECG. Uh, typically, you can see an S in the first lead, a Q in the third lead, and an inversion of the the T in the third lead. And uh, sometimes you can see a right bundle branch uh, block. Um, <clears throat> so the treatment for PE and DVT are the same essentially. Um, you have to anticoagulate the patient. So the length of anticoagulation depends on what is the cause of uh, the DVT or PE. If it's if it's something that that's a transient, like a surgery, then we only have to anticoagulate for three months. But if it's, for example, something like a cancer, then you have to you might have to um, anticoagulate for a longer time. So you start the anticoagulation typically with low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin um, until the INR is greater than 2 for, for 24 hours. And then afterwards for, for the long-term anticoagulation, you can give either warfarin, uh, direct oral anticoagulants, or low molecular weight heparins, and they all have their own um, pros and cons. D for DOACs, you don't have to follow INR levels. Um, so I hope that this capsule will help you diagnose and manage um, pulmonary embolisms and P uh, and uh, DVTs when you encounter them in the ER. Um, thank you for listening and hope to s hope that you guys will tune in for the next episode.